What's up, everybody? My name is Shane Kohler, and this is The Conscious Love Show. Thanks so much for joining me here, where each week I'm sharing true-to-life insights and experiences from my journey and how I've created the loving and committed partnership I have today. I answer your questions and have live discussions with you so I can support you in your specific situation. And I bring in experts and people who know their stuff so we can all learn from their perspectives. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love. Okay, okay. Welcome back, everyone. Good morning, uh, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you might be joining me from. Welcome to another episode of The Conscious Love Show. So uh, I'm excited, as always, to be here with you today, and I've got a great topic. I've been thinking a lot about it. You know, I was I was uh, sitting there this morning just kind of mulling over, um, you know, what I wanted to speak into today and, and what I wanted to share. And, you know, this topic, uh, the three types of men, um, is really, you know, it's it's quite a pervasive conversation in our culture. And what I want to do is really clarify, you know, what are these three types of men? What can you expect from these three types of men? How do you engage with each of these types of men, right? So um, we're going to do a deep dive on it today. Some of you may have seen a, a video from me or something at one time or another where I spoke about briefly the three different kinds of men, but today we're doing the deep dive. Today we're going all in with, you know, who these men are, where they come from, and what to do with them when you meet one. Um, first thing I want to say in in diving into today's conversation, those of you who have been with me for a while or have maybe listened to a lot of the podcasts, you've probably heard me in different episodes say, well, there are four different types of men, or there are five different types of men. And so I want to just clarify that if there's any confusion here, that Depending on the context of the conversation, I may have, you know, categorized it in different ways at different times. But what I'm speaking about today is, in very general terms, the three different types of men that you will encounter while dating. So today's episode is specifically for all the ladies out there who are actively dating men. Um, what I'm really speaking into today are while you're out there dating, when you're meeting people, you're going to encounter three very specific different types of men. And um, I'll just get it out here in the open right now. The three types that I'm speaking about, uh, two of them you're probably very familiar with. One may be a little bit of a surprise, but the first one is what I like to call, or what everybody calls, the bad boy. Um, the second one is what we know as the nice guy. And the third one is the one that might be a little bit of a surprise because he's not talked about so much. But the third one is what I'll call the committed man. And... It's really, it's really important to recognize that there are actually three of these guys out there rather than two, because most people in the dating world, when you talk to people, you know, they, they say, well, there, there's the bad boy and there's the nice guy, but people don't often talk about this third type of guy. And what I've found is that, you know, the bad boy and the nice guy are kind of two sides of the same coin, right? They're, they're really, they're really the same what do I want to say? The same quality of partner or the same quality of, of guy, but showing up in two different packages. And what I want to say is, is in either sense, there's really what's missing is a lack of depth and a lack of authenticity, 
right? So whether he's showing up as the bad boy or whether he's showing up as the nice guy, both of those are what I'll call behavioral adaptations based on survival, right? So in either form, whether it's the nice guy or the bad boy, he's not showing up as himself. He's not showing up truly. He's not showing up authentically. He's showing up with a mask. He's showing up with a certain persona that he's trying on to try to get something he wants. The committed man, which which is the third type of man that I'm going to speak about today, this is the man who is embodied in his authenticity. This is the man who is clear about who he is. He's clear about what he wants. And this is the kind of man that I would say when you're really looking for long-term conscious partnership, you... This is the kind of man you're looking for, right? You're, you're looking for that committed man. And so today I'm going to talk about who he is, how he became who he is, because that's important because the committed man was likely in probably almost all cases at some point in his past, he was probably showing up as a bad boy or a nice guy, but he reached a certain point in his own evolution where he realized that just doesn't work. And so he started to show up differently. Right. So there's a story of how he even became the committed man, his journey, what he had to go through to become that way. And then there's also the question of what's happening with these other guys, you know, this bad boy and this nice guy, what's going on for them and and what makes them not really great potential partners. One of the first things that I want to clarify in today's episode is that something I often hear from women is the, the feeling that, you know, they're attracted to the bad boys. They, they have this bad boy attraction. They're attracted to the mystery or the avoidance or the intensity or the confidence or, you know, all the different traits that we might experience from that bad boy type. And what, what I hear from a lot of women is that they, they think to themselves, well, I need to stop being interested in the bad boy and learn how to be attracted to a nice guy. Right. And, and a lot of women say to me, you know, I've, I've had lots of nice guys throughout my life that were interested in me, that were that were, you know, uh, showing up for me and they were dedicated and they were committed. And just for the life of me, I couldn't be attracted to them. And, you know, it's it's a really difficult predicament to be in when there's someone there who's offering you everything you thought you ever wanted in a relationship, but you're still not attracted to them. Right. And so. What I want to what I want to say is that it's actually not about stop stop being attracted to the bad boy and start being attracted to the nice guy. It's actually about looking for this third type of man because as I've said already the the bad boy and the nice guy are kind of two different sides of the same coin here, right? They're they're two different adaptations, but they're both based in survival and they both lack authenticity. So I understand why it's difficult to be attracted to a nice guy. Like, I get it. You know, they they often show up as, I, I want to be gentle with how I say this, but, you know, they often show up with a, a sense of desperation. They show up with a sense of wanting to be whatever you want them to be, right? And so this is, I, I think, the, the, the issue and why it's so difficult to be attracted to a nice guy is because the nice guy is basically molding himself to be who you want him to be. He's showing up trying to play into whatever he thinks you want. And, you know, whether, 
whether you're on the man side of this or the woman side of this, nobody's really attracted to that, right? Nobody is, nobody's really attracted to that. Nobody is really attracted to that sense of desperation, that sense of I am going to sell myself out or mold myself or become something that I'm not or adjust myself in some way in order to get you to like me, in order to be who you want me to be. Like nobody is really attracted to that. That is, that is a fundamentally unattractive quality in all human beings. And so, you know, a lot of you ladies out there, you might be saying, well, there's this nice guy in my life and he's really great and, and he's, you know, showing up for me and he's consistent and he really, you know, wants me and, you know, loves me or, or whatever, but I just can't feel the same way for him. And I'd like to suggest that in many cases, maybe not in all cases, and we might talk about some of the exceptions today, but in many cases, that lack of attraction is the appropriate response because he's not showing up as high value. And this is something that I, you know, I'm, I'm really big on in my coaching is that if, you know, if, if you want to find a partner, if, and I'm not just talking about getting into a relationship, right? So those of you who listen to my podcast or those of you who follow my work, you understand that I'm not just talking about getting into a relationship, okay? All of you have gotten into relationships at some point. But the the truth is that the relationships that you've gotten into have largely not panned out in the way that you wanted them to, right? So this is not about getting into a relationship. There are lots of people who will teach you how to go out there and say and do the right thing to get into a relationship. But this is actually about developing a certain quality of relationship and having a a partnership that is based in a certain level of consciousness and a certain level of commitment that what I would call a conscious relationship or, or a, a relationship in which both people are aware and committed and dedicated and you're building something, you're building a life with someone and you're doing it in a conscious way. You're doing it based on certain principles, right? You're doing it based on shared values. You're doing it based on a shared vision of the future. And it's really, or what I was saying is to create a, to create that kind of relationship or that quality of relationship, like that, that high level relationship you have to show up as a high value partner. And a lot of times what we think of as a high value partner is not really a high value partner. And and that would be the case with the bad boy. So here you have the nice guy who is basically showing up as low value. He, there's there's a spinelessness about him. There's an inability to kind of stand on his own two feet, to be, you know, to be himself, to have this kind of attitude that, you know, I am who I am and you can take me or leave me, but I'm not going to adjust myself for you. Okay. The nice guy is lacking that. The nice guy is trying to be who you want him to be to get him to like you which comes off as low value. And again, I said this already, but whether you're a man or a woman, that kind of behavior will always come off as low value. The bad boy is the other extreme. Okay, so he's the he's the one who's completely inflexible. All right, so the nice guy is like overly flexible. I'll bend over backwards. I'll do whatever you want. I'll be whoever you want. Like whatever whatever I have to do to get you to like me, I'm, I'm super flexible. 
And then the bad boy is like completely inflexible. Like, I don't care what you want. I don't care who you are. I don't care about your needs. I don't like, like it, it's, it's almost like a, a hyper, a hyper independence and a hyper control. I would say, uh, a hyper, like the need to maintain the upper hand in the relationship at all costs. Right. And that's, that's who the bad boy is. And so whether you're on either extreme, you're not really showing up as high value, but because of our cultural wounding, we often perceive the bad boy as high value, very similar to how there, there, there is a female version of this too, right? It's like the, the female version version of this is like the hyper materialistic, the, the, um, like Uber high standards, like assessing men and like picking them apart and finding what's wrong with them. Right. Like that, that would be like the feminine version of the bad boy. Right. I don't, I don't know if I'd call her the bad girl. I don't, I don't know if that fits, but, but it's, it's like that, that would be like the equivalent. Right. But it's this, but it really doesn't come from authentically being high value. Right. It doesn't come from authentically being high value. That is a reaction to the perceived insecurity or the, to the feeling of insecurity or the, the perception of being low value. Right. So, so in the, in the instance of the bad boy, or even this, this kind of woman I was talking about, this hyper materialistic and, you know, picking men apart from, from the moment she meets and that kind of thing, like that, uh, that way, that approach is an overcompensation for an insecurity that I feel inside. Right. So if, if we're going to talk about the bad boy, the bad boy is someone who has a lot of wounding and, you know, young men, especially, I think it's getting better. Like I think parents in our generation are way, way more conscious than parents in the previous generation. They also have way more support. They also tend to have a lot more resources. A lot of times like there, there tends to be a, a lot more available for parents in this generation than there were in previous generations. But the, the boys who grew up, you know, when I was a kid or even older than me, right? Like even before me, the, the boys were constantly given this message of the only way I can think to describe it is toxic masculinity, right? And, and it, it is, it is this flavor of masculinity that is, that is hyper macho, that lacks vulnerability, that lacks sensitivity. It's basically completely disconnected from the feminine. Right. So the, the feminine is all the aspects of like kindness, gentleness, nurturing, empathy, sensitivity, like, you, you know, the, the warm loving qualities, those generally tend to be feminine qualities. And we grew up in, in a world where the older men who were our role models, who were our mentors, who were the, the people we looked up to, the people we tried to emulate as kids were completely disconnected from their femininity, right? They saw femininity as weakness. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, dressing up like a woman or wearing makeup. That's, that's not what I mean when I say femininity, but I'm talking about these feminine qualities that both men and women have, 
Well, in, in the toxic masculine, what, what it really is, is it is, it is the masculine force when it has completely disconnected itself from all feminine aspects, right? So I've disconnected myself from being understanding, being nurturing, being kind, being empathetic, being connected, Right. I, I've disconnected myself from all of this. And this these were the role models, right, where they viewed any kind of sensitivity as weakness, any kind of empathy as weakness. And so what the what the bad boy or I should say how the bad boy has become what he is. Is as a result of trying to emulate these hyper-masculine, toxic, masculine influences around him. Seeing any vulnerability in his self as a sign of weakness, as a sign of, you know, I think weakness is probably the best word for it, right? But, but viewing himself in that way. And so as a result of that, as a way of overcompensating for that or trying to, trying to protect himself against being seen as weak, or against being taken advantage of, or against being out of control emotionally, or against even like falling in love, right? Because a, a lot of a lot of men say that love makes you weak, right? That that is very much a toxic masculine ideal, which is the idea that love makes you weak. Being in love with someone gives them power over you, and so the bad boy, as a as an archetype, will say is something that has shown up in our culture as a response to all these young boys being taught that they could not be vulnerable. And so what we have is we have this we have this societal dilemma where tons and tons of men are completely disconnected from their vulnerability completely disconnected from their sensitivity, completely disconnected from their ability to love, their ability to have an open heart, their ability to be genuinely kind and gentle and warm. So many men are just completely disconnected from this. And then we have men who are connected to this, right? They are connected to their ability to be kind, their ability to be understanding, their ability to be empathetic. But the problem with these men, and now I'm talking more about the nice guy, the problem with these men is they have lived their entire lives in a comparison to the bad boy. And if you can really understand what happens as, as a young boy is growing up and maybe he is sensitive, maybe he does have a genuine kind heart. Maybe he is genuinely loving. Maybe he is genuinely romantic, right? Maybe he does like have a, 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 an authentic respect for women and he respects and appreciates women. But then throughout his whole life, you know, he has these really great qualities. But throughout his whole life, he's lived as contrast to kind of the bad boy, right? And when he was in school, for example, we could say, you know, when he was in middle school or high school or college, or, you know, when he was in his younger years, he was often competing for the attention of women, the affection of women. He was competing for that against these bad boy types. 
And then what happens for him is he starts to feel inferior because the women or the girls around him would constantly choose these bad boy types over him. And so he starts to feel inferior. He starts to develop an insecurity about himself. He starts to feel that of himself, he is not enough, right? That, you know, women, women don't really want somebody who's kind or loving or warm or attentive. You know, they want someone who's going to treat them like crap. They want someone who's going to play games with them. They want someone who's going to ignore them, right? This is the, I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying this is the internal conversation that this guy has developed. And so what he starts to, how he starts to adapt as a result of that, because you've got to, you've got to understand that human beings are all like we're survival based creatures. Okay. So we are whatever environment we find ourselves in and human beings are incredibly adaptable. You know, like no matter what environment you find yourself in, it might be shocking at first. And then after a period of time, you can adapt to it and you can, and you can start to live into it. Right. So, so all of like the bad boy is adapting to his environment by becoming this hyper-masculine, toxic, masculine type person. That was how he adapted to survive in his environment. That was how he was admired. That was how he was loved. That was how he was respected. That was how he got his needs met. That was how he had control in his life, right? Like all, like that was his adaptation. Now, this nice guy who could never really be the bad boy, right? He doesn't really have it in him. He's not, he's not like that. He doesn't treat people that way. He's not malicious. He, you know, he's too sensitive for that. If, if he hurts you or treats you like crap, he's going to feel that. And, and so he can't really be that way. But as a result of that, as a result of that kind of competition that he's found himself in, his way of adapting to that was to become nice. And I want to distinguish nice from kind because this is an important distinction. And this is really... This is really the element that sets the nice guy apart from the committed man. The distinction of being nice, uh, one of my coaches put it this way. She says that, you know, a nice person will not tell you that you have something in your teeth, but a kind person will. I thought that was such a great illustration, right? A nice person will not tell you that you have something in your teeth. Why? Because a nice person is too afraid of offending you. They're too afraid of stepping on your toes. They're too afraid of, they're too afraid of, uh, you know, you judging them or you reacting in a negative way, right? Like they're, they're too afraid of upsetting you or saying or doing the wrong thing that they just won't tell you. So what a nice person does is they smile in your face. They tell you exactly what you want to hear. You know, like, let's give the example. Let's say you're going into a job interview. Right. And you have your friend there who's a nice person and you're going into a job interview and your friend who's the nice person is there and you, you're all dressed up and looking good and you smile at them and you say, you know, do I look good? And you have something in your teeth. Right. And they'll say, well, yeah, you look great. You look amazing. Knowing that you're going into the job interview, knowing that you're going to have something in your teeth, but they won't tell you because they're too afraid of upsetting you. I know this is a little bit of an extreme example, but I just want you to understand the principles underneath it. 
Whereas the kind person doesn't care so much about how you feel. They care about you doing well in the job interview, right? And so kindness has a strength about it. Like true kindness has a strength and a level of commitment, a level of like dedication, a level of honesty and authenticity where being nice sells all of that out just to get you to like them, just to get you to be happy with them, just to get a positive response from you. And so what the nice guy has done from this, from growing up in this world where he's always been in competition with the bad boy and he's always felt kind of inferior to the bad boy, this has developed an insecurity within him. It has developed a, a way of approaching, especially love and dating, where he thinks the only way someone will love me is to be really, really, really nice to them, is to give them everything they want, which, as I said earlier, that kind of screams low value. And so this is, this is how these two men have adapted based on their upbringing, based on their environment, based on the circumstances they found themselves in. Life and the, the challenges and the difficulties of life have kind of pushed each of these guys over to these extremes, right? And, and I would say both of them are toxic because... I know we don't often think of the nice guy as toxic, right? We wouldn't, it's very easy to see the bad boy as toxic. And we don't think of the nice guy as toxic, but you've got to understand wherever there is an element of insecurity, wherever there is an element of not enoughness, that is going to lend itself towards manipulation. Because Manipulation is what we fall to when we feel that who we are is not enough, right? If, if I don't believe that who I am authentically is enough for you to love me, then naturally I'm going to devolve into some approach where I have to manipulate you to love me because you won't love me just for who I am. And so this is ultimately the, this is ultimately why the nice guy becomes kind of toxic. It's because you can't trust him. You can't, you can't trust what he does or you can't trust what he says because it's not coming from a place of truth. It's coming from a place of manipulating you to like him. And then what's going to happen with the nice guy is down the road he's not going to be so nice because underneath this exterior of this, this role he plays of being this super nice guy, super loving, super compassionate, what is underneath that is an incredible amount of resentment for all the years that he's been rejected, for all the years that you know women have chosen the bad boy over him, for all the years that he's felt inferior. There's an incredible amount of resentment there. 
And this act that he puts on of being the nice guy is, is something that will fall away once he feels like he has you. And all of those toxic traits that are unresolved in him are going to start coming out. Now, I, I think it's important to say here that I am not villainizing the bad boy or the nice guy. And this is, this is such an important part of my work because if you cannot understand what I'm going to share right now, then you can't truly love. Like this is such an essential aspect to truly loving someone is what I'm about to share right now. The bad boy and the nice guy, these are not villains. Okay. These are not inherently bad people. These are wounded people. You know, these were like, these were once innocent children. And they are innocent children who have been traumatized, who have been rejected, who have been abandoned, who have been ignored, who have been, you know, all of this. And whether they adapted to be the bad boy or adapted to be the nice guy, it doesn't really like it doesn't really matter which way they adapted because they're both methods of survival. They're both inauthentic. And so I'm not saying that these people are villains. I'm saying that they are wounded, but I, I read a meme earlier today, and it, it, I think it's very relevant for this conversation. It, it said something to the effect of, you know, if somebody, if somebody comes into your house and destroys the place, you know, you're going to get like, they start breaking shit and throwing things around. Like you're going to get that person out of your house and they're not going to be invited to come back. Now you could hate that person if you want to. But that situation doesn't call for hate, right? That situation doesn't call for you to hate the person, but it does call for you to create a boundary, right? So the, the wounded people, whether they're a narcissist, whether they're a bad boy, whether they're a nice guy, you know, whatever it is, like the wounded people are not people that are villains, but they are people that we need to create boundaries with, right? They're people that we need to say, listen, you can't be in my house fucking stuff up, right? If you do that, you're going to be removed and you're not going to be invited back. So these are not bad people. They don't call for hate. You know, the more we, the more we hate, the more we judge, the more we perpetuate this stuff in our society. And like, it's, it's really important. Like, yes, we're all trying to find happiness. We're all trying to find love. We're all trying to find, you know, our, our peace in this world and, and create a life that we feel really good about. But we've also got to recognize that there's a, there's a societal healing that's taking place here. And the more we allow any kind of judgment or hate in our personal lives, the more we perpetuate the overall toxicity of the world. And so when we have these conversations, it's important to have them within a framework of love, but also recognize that, look, the world is full of toxicity and we can meet the world with love, right? We don't want to meet the world with hate, but we also want to recognize and be present to the incredible amount of toxicity that is in the world. And we need to know how to relate with that in a powerful way. Right, so I hope this is making sense right now. So 
in relating with it in a powerful way. When we meet a bad boy or a nice guy, it doesn't call for judgment. It doesn't call for criticism. It doesn't call for hate, but it calls for recognizing what they are, recognizing where they're operating from, and recognizing that it is simply not for you. And that's where you create the boundary. It's where you say, it's wonderful getting to know you. Thank you so much. I don't want to take this any further. So what I want to say is I want to speak a bit about the uh, committed man. And the committed man is this third type of man, right? He is, he is the man who is on his healing journey. I would say, I would suggest that any committed man you meet was once either a bad boy or a nice guy. Now, that may not be an absolute rule that applies to 100% of the men in the world, but I, I think it's pretty, it's pervasive enough that we could say in general that'll be the case. Because, uh, again, what, what I said earlier is that, you know, these, these uh, being the bad boy or the nice guy as a behavioral adaptation and the experiences that, that this man experienced when he was younger kind of forced him into one direction or the other, right? His environment that he was raised in forced him into these directions. And so what the committed man is, is he is someone who was once either a bad boy or a nice guy. And he has recognized that it just doesn't work. You know, if he was on the bad boy side of the spectrum then he just became so lonely and so tired of hurting people. And, and he just, he started to feel all of that. He started to feel how much he was isolating himself. He started to feel the lack of intimacy in his life. He started to feel the, the pain that he was causing other people, you know, especially women. Because what are, what are the telltale signs of the bad boy, right? Dismissive avoidant, doesn't care, will, you know, will kind of use you for what he wants and then drop you, right? Like these are, these are kind of the telltale signs of the bad boy. And a man who is living in this way is, you know, two things are happening. One, he's creating an incredible amount of suffering in other people. And two, he's creating an incredible amount of suffering within himself. Now, some men have closed their hearts to such a degree, and this is very pervasive in our world, that some men have closed their hearts to such a degree that they can't even feel their own isolation and loneliness, and they can't even feel the pain they're causing other people. And so a man who has isolated himself to that degree, who has closed his heart off to that degree, will probably never come back from that. Okay, if, if he can't even feel what he's doing, then he will probably never come back to that. And he will probably live and die that way. But some men can feel it. And they start to feel the pain of that. They start to feel the hurt of that. And what they start to do is they start to say, I don't want to be this way anymore. Right? I don't want to hurt women. 
I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be isolated, right? Like I want to feel something. I want love, right? I want authentic relationship. And, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of men come to me over the years who have had strong avoidant pasts, who have, you know, been in this bad boy role for many years. And they've said exactly that. Like, I'm lonely, I'm miserable. You know, no amount of sleeping with women or, or any of that is like fulfilling anymore. And it just like, the more I do it, the more it hurts. And so they will often reach that point and decide to choose a new path for themselves. And that's when they begin their healing journey. Now, the nice guy is very similar, right? Different flavor, but very similar. Whereas what he starts to feel is, I'm tired of being like rejected. I'm tired of being seen as less than a man because I'm not edgy and, and you know, dismissive and all of that, right? I'm tired of I'm I'm tired of like this feeling of unworthiness. Like, like these are these are kind of all the symptoms of the nice guy, right? And I'm tired of trying to prove myself and being rejected and you know spending spending six months being best friends with some woman just to ultimately have her you know choose some bad boy at the end of the day, right? So like these are all the kinds of things that the nice guy is feeling, and he he just gets kind of fed up with that. And he's just like, I'm done living this way. And then what he develops is a little bit of an edge. It's a, it's just like a little bit of an edge. It's not, he doesn't go to the extreme of, you know, being dismissive and heartless and all of that, but he just develops a little bit of an edge. It's, it's like, I'm not going to take shit anymore. And so what he starts to do is when he starts getting friend zoned by a woman, He's just like, I'm not interested in being your friend. If, if you're not into it, fine. You know, I wish you well, but I'm not interested in being your friend. I'm looking for more than a friendship, right? So he starts to develop a kind of confidence. Like, like I said, a little bit of an edge, not, not an aggressive edge, not a harmful edge, but just to like, I'm not dealing with bullshit edge, right? I'm not going to be walked all over. I'm not going to be taken advantage of. You know, when women are like, uh, when women are not clear with him, when, when they give him the whole, yeah, I really like you, but I just don't know. And like that kind of stuff, you know, he's just, he's just like not having it. He's just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like you're either interested or you're not right. And so he develops this little bit of an edge and whether, whether it's on, you know, the side of the bad boy who develops a sensitivity or the side of the nice guy who develops an edge, he starts to grow into this committed man. And what I want to say is for the, for the ladies out there who are dating men, who are looking for a relationship with men, this is the kind of guy, this is the kind of man that actually has the potential to create the kind of relationship you want. And so what are, what are some characteristics of him? I would say one of the most primary characteristics of this man is that he has recognized the error of his ways and he is on a healing journey. And that is, you know, that can look a lot of different ways. You know, maybe he's been in therapy 
Maybe he's doing some kind of coaching program. Maybe he's going on a men's retreat. Maybe he's, uh, you know, maybe he's reading certain books or meditating or, you know, there are lots of ways it can look. But the point is that this guy has recognized the errors of his ways and he's choosing something new for himself. And so what are the, what are the qualities of a committed man? Like when you're dating him, how do you know? Well, I think, I think one of the most telltale qualities of this man is that he knows what he wants and he is not afraid to communicate about it. I have found time and time again with, with both men and women that I've coached is that when a man is operating at this level of a committed man, there is no hot, cold game playing with him. There is honesty. There is directness. There is, I want you, and I'm going to do whatever I can to have you. And at the same time, there is this edge of if I am showing up for you, showing you how much I want you, showing you how committed I am to having you, being consistent for you, bringing you my best, and I don't feel that that is being honored, received, and appreciated, I'm going to lose interest. I'm going to remove myself. Right? So this man is not afraid to be honest about how he feels. He has no shame in admitting that he likes you. He has no shame in admitting that he wants you. He is not afraid to ask you on a date. He is not afraid to show up for you on it. Like, you know, like he will, he will be all of that. He will be consistent. He will be committed. He will be all of that. But if he feels that those efforts are not well received and appreciated, he will walk away. And what I think happens a lot of times is that we've been so conditioned to be attracted to avoidance because we perceive avoidance as high value, right? Like we're, we're so used to this black and white thing of there are people who are desperate and needy and there are people who don't care at all. And we, we clearly recognize the desperate and needy people as low value. And so that like, nobody wants to be with that and nobody wants to be that right. No, nobody wants to be with someone who's desperate and needy and nobody wants to be someone who's desperate and needy. And so we, ex when we experience that in the dating world, it's an immediate turnoff. But as a result of that, we've developed this attraction to avoidance. And like we, we've gone all the way to the other extreme and we've thought, okay, well, if someone doesn't need me and they're not desperate and they're like, I mean, more than just not desperate, but they're to the other extreme of disinterested. We perceive that as high value because it's the opposite of what we perceive to be low value. If you're with me on that, if I know that 
I hope that makes sense what I just said. If it does, just tap that heart a few times. I want to make sure you're following me on this. Okay, but when we, when we experience that avoidance, we assume that that is high value because it is the opposite of what we have come to recognize as low value. And what we lack... Or, or I should say what we're developing now, right? Like we're all, we're going through a, a mass healing on our planet right now. We are, at a, we are at a stage in human history where humanity is finally waking up to the fact that we have been fucking toxic throughout history. And we are finally waking up to that and we are recognizing that we cannot be that way anymore. And what we are developing as we heal, and we're all in different stages. So some of us are very far along in the healing journey. Some of us are at the very beginning of it. Some of us have not even started it yet. But as we heal ourselves, what we are developing is the awareness to recognize something in the middle. And this is where I would say the committed man lives. He lives in the middle. Right? He is not dismissive. He is not avoidant. He is not unavailable. He is not emotionally closed. He is actually the opposite of all of that, right? He is available. He is emotionally open. He has an open heart. He is caring. He desires love in a healthy way. And he is open about that, right? Like there's, there's no shame around his desire for love. He is connected to his need for intimacy and sensitivity and connection, right? Like he, he's connected to this on a heart level. He's not ashamed of it. He's not hiding from it, but he's also not weak, right? He's also not going to allow himself to be taken advantage of. And what happens for a lot of us, and, and I see this, I see this in a lot of the women I coach is that we've become so attracted to avoidance and and we've become so accustomed to recognizing avoidance as high value is that we can't really tell the difference. I say we, I mean, I'm talking about those who date men, which wouldn't include me. So, so maybe I shouldn't say we here. But a lot of the women I coach or what I've seen with a lot of the women I work with is that they become so attracted to the avoidance that they can't tell the difference between a committed man and a nice guy. They collapse them and they seem like the same thing because they both create this experience of safety. They both, like whether it's a nice guy or a committed man, generally speaking, they both create this feeling of safety in you. They both create this feeling of, I can trust this person, right? This person is not going to hurt me. This person lets me know what they want. And so what happens is, you know, our first, our first um, stage of sexual development actually happens at about five years old. And I know that's, you know, most people like that sounds strange to them because they don't think of five-year-olds as being sexually developed and, and they're not right. They're not, but 
But that is the first time in our life when we start to develop that part of ourselves, where we start to develop that, how do I want to say it? It's like that awareness of, of there's a part of us that wants to be romantically involved with other people, right? That, that begins to develop in its very early stages at about five years old. And so if you go all the way back to five years old and you look at maybe the men who were around you at that time in your life, whether it was your father or, or other men who were around you, but I'm not saying that you were necessarily attracted to your father or the men that were around you when you were five years old. But what I'm saying is that the energetic impressions that you took on at that time in your life, you started to frame an idea about what men are supposed to be like, right? You started to frame a certain perception of what a desirable man looks like based on the masculine impressions that were around you at that stage in your life. Now, I don't have to tell you, most of us, and especially most of the women out there, like did not have healthy male role models around them when they were very young. And so at the, at the earliest stages of sexual development, many, many women, lots and lots of women started to develop an idea about what a man is supposed to be like based on the toxic impressions that were surrounding them. Then what happens is, you know, your next stage is what we call puberty, right? Which most people think that's the first stage, but it actually started way before that. But that's the next major stage is when you're like 12, 13 years old. And at that, at that stage, that's usually when we start having boyfriends and girlfriends. And that's when we start, you know, having romantic involvement, at least to some degree, it might be, it might be very mild for, for other people. It's not so mild, but to some degree, that's when we start to have romantic involvement with other people. Now, by the time you reach that age at 12, 13 years old, you've already been developing your sexual awareness for like six, seven years. And so by the time you actually start dating, you start, you know, being romantically involved, these impressions are pretty firmly like ingrained. And this is why you know, dating in like middle school and high school is such a shit show because you have the toxic impressions that you've taken on from your environment throughout your whole life. And most of us did not grow up in really healthy environments, but you lack the wisdom and the maturity that you develop as an adult, right? So as an adult, after you've experienced some pain and you've experienced some suffering and you've been, had your heart broken a few times, that creates a little wisdom. That creates a little maturity, but you don't have that in middle school. You don't have that in high school, right? Most people have not even had their heart broken yet in high school, or they get it broken for the first time in high school. So at that stage, it's a total shit show. But what happens is these kinds of toxic impressions that you developed in your you know, early childhood, in your younger years... When you reach middle school and high school, they're just basically kind of let loose to run wild. And, and this is where so much of our unworthiness gets really firmly set into place. 
because we experience romantic relationships for the first time. And we experience them in probably the most toxic environment that you'll ever see, which is high school. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, it can definitely get way more toxic as an adult. So I, I shouldn't say the most toxic environment you'll ever see, but but it's it's pretty bad. And and then what happens is because your first experiences of dating and being in relationship are are kind of swimming in this toxic water, so much of our unworthiness gets set into place there. And so much of our survival adaptations get really firmly set into place there. And so what starts to happen is you start to believe in a deep way that this is how it is. That if I want someone to love me, I have to bend over backwards and prove myself, or I have to chase the bad boy all over town or, or, or whatever. And the feeling of anxiety that you have, if you, some of you ladies, you might really relate to this. If you imagine like sometime in maybe middle school or high school where you were really attracted to that bad boy. Right? You probably even remember his name. You probably even know exactly who he is. Right? But if you can think back to some time in your, you know, teenage years when you were really attracted to that bad boy type and the the way you would imagine being with him. And if he really fell in love with you and if and you know if if he was your boyfriend and he really was everything you wanted him to be and you know there's this fantasy of like being the one woman who's going to make the bad boy give up all his toxic ways and find his sensitive heart and be the one who will love you. And you will have been the one to bring that out in him, right? It's such a, it's such a, uh, what's the word? Like it's such a seductive fantasy that is so prevalent. And if you think about a time in your teenage years when you really had that fantasy going on for you and you had that attraction to that guy, what you will see, if you really can connect to what you were feeling in your body at that time, you will see that you were feeling an incredible amount of anxiety. You were feeling an incredible amount of uncertainty. Uh, an amount of like, I don't know where this is going. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to dump me. I don't know if he's going to like me. I don't know. And and this like, this chase that's happening. And it creates this like incredible amount of anxiety in your body. And because of the vulnerable state you were when you first experienced that, And because of how impressionable you were at that time, and because that was all probably very reflective of the impressions that you received in your upbringing, you started to believe that that feeling of anxiety is what love is. Tap that heart a few times if you're you're with me on what I'm saying right now, if you understand what I'm saying that you started to perceive that feeling of anxiety as what love is. There's like a, 
there's like a euphoria about it and an excitement about it and an anticipation and uh oh my god if only and if somehow some way and there's there's just this and it fills your body and it feel like it, it, it i mean you know the feeling right it like brings you to life and it's it's just so exciting and even euphoric and that collapse right that misunderstanding that feeling for the feeling of being in love often carries it all the way into our adulthood and i mean i've had i've had clients that are you know 40s 50s and beyond that are still still in that because it it just it gets into us at such an early point in our lives at such a vulnerable time in our lives at such an intense time in our lives, you know, something about like our teenage years is that we haven't, we're still naive enough to fantasize, right? It's, and so there's, there's something about like when you're a teenager, you have your whole life ahead of you and you haven't been jaded yet. And it's like the world is your oyster and, and like you, you really believe that like all of your dreams could come true. And it's, it's just such a unique time in our lives where we are so vulnerable and so impressionable. And we're so like, we feel so much because we haven't experienced a lot of the pain and hardship in life that ultimately causes us to close down our feeling centers. And so because of all of that, we become kind of addicted to the euphoria of the chase, the euphoria of the, the attraction to that like mystery and danger. And, you know, I could, I could be left, I could be dismissed, I could be abandoned, but I could also be the one who's going to change him. I could also be the one who's going to love him so much that I'm going to touch his heart and he's going to change his ways for me. And by the way, this isn't a story you made up in your, on your own, right? I mean, isn't this what every romantic comedy is about? Doesn't every romantic comedy center around this bad boy type character that this one special woman was enough to love him in just the right way? that he falls in love with her and and changes everything for her. Like, I mean, isn't that the story that we've been sold time and time and time again? And so this is, I mean, I I think like Twilight is a great example of this, right? Where it's like, what's more dangerous? And not just Twilight, like all the vampire stories, right? Which, Which, by the way, I love vampire stories. My wife and I, we're watching one right now. The vampire stories are great. But, but this is like, what's more dangerous than a vampire? Right. And and like the vampire is like the, he's like the ultimate bad boy. If you look at, uh, if you look at like true blood, right. Where you have Sookie and, and she's, and she's going like dating, like Bill and Eric, these like strong, powerful killing machines, but they, but they want to love and protect Sookie, right. Sookie's special to them. And we're going to protect her, even though we're these big, bad killing machines, right? Like this is the story that we've been sold over and over and over and over again. It's like the ultimate fantasy. 
And because the story has been sold to us, and again, at such a vulnerable, impressionable time in our lives, when you're out there and you meet an honorable, committed man, it can be tough to see him as such. Because, as I said earlier, part of part of that experience of being with an honorable, committed man is safety. He doesn't create that anxiety. He doesn't create that danger. He doesn't have that element of like, I'm going to hurt you. And so it can be really tough to see him for the quality man that he is. And so what, what I found is that before, for the ladies out there, before you can really be open to receiving this committed man into your life, you have to heal the parts of yourself that are attracted to danger. You have to heal the part of yourself that wants to put yourself in an impossible situation and be the one special person that's going to beat the odds. Right? Like Again, I know that's the ultimate fantasy, but it is, it is toxic to have that fantasy. It is incredibly, incredibly hurtful to live under that fantasy, to want to be this one special person who's going to make someone be something they're not. And when you heal that part of yourself that is attracted to the danger, that is attracted to the uncertainty, you know, I've said it before like this. I've said the bad boy attraction is actually the feeling of unworthiness being projected into a relationship. And so I'm just going to give a very obvious example, and this can show up many, many ways, but just a very obvious example. You know, if you had a father who was emotionally unavailable for you, and when you were very little, you know, five years old, seven years old, your father was not like emotionally available. He might've been a nice guy, I don't mean the nice guy, right? But I mean, he might've been a good guy. He might've been, you know, responsible. Maybe he put food on the table and provided for the household. And, you know, he wasn't abusive necessarily, but he just wasn't emotionally available. He wasn't emotionally connected. And you as his daughter had this deep need to to be emotionally connected to your father, right? Which is just ingrained in, in, in human beings, And so you would inherently try to do whatever you could to get him to smile at you, to get him to hug you, to get him to give you some kind of affection or some kind of attention, right? Like you as his daughter, it would just be natural for you to do whatever you could to try to create that emotional connection with your father. And that would be the pattern that you learned at a very young age. Now, again, I'm using the example of your father. It could be your father. It could also be an older brother. It could also be your early boyfriends, right? Or, or some of like when you first started dating, some of the early impressions you got there. So, and it could show up in other ways too. So I'm not saying these are the only ways it could be, 
But I'm giving you these examples because I want you to understand how this works. If you developed that, that feeling of like, things are very uncertain. I don't know if my father is going to love me or not. I don't know if he's going to be emotionally available to me or not. You know, I don't know if he's going to hug me or if he's going to tell me to go away. That develops a kind of uncertainty and a kind of anxiety that causes you to seek relationships that reflect that. And so this, this feeling of, of I'm not really worthy of my father's love and I need to perform for him. I need to bend over backwards or be something I'm not to, to get my father to approve of me or to love me or give me that attention. Well, that, that unworthiness that you feel, that fear of abandonment and that, that need to try to anticipate and control and do things to, to prevent, you know, the abandonment or to get the approval, that's going to spill over into your relationships with all men. And so what it, what it really, what it really comes down to is the ability and in your healing what you heal is that addiction to the anxiety. You heal that addiction to the uncertainty. You heal that need to feel that in order to be attracted. And I want to say this, like that anxiety will actually create real physical sexual attraction. Like you will actually get physically turned on by the feeling of that anxiety. And when that anxiety is not there, you will not get physically turned on because that like you have to some degree, you've been trained throughout your life to respond to that. And so the, the healing and the growth happens when you can really feel safe inside your own body and you can you can learn to feel regulated inside your own body and I don't have time today to go into all the methods of this but but there are a lot of them and I've, I've talked about them in a lot of different episodes I'm not going to be able to get into it today but when you can feel regulated and safe within your own body and you start to value the feeling of being at peace over the feeling of being anxious. You start to value that feeling of groundedness and contentment and ease within your body more than the feeling of like kind of desperately chasing and what's going to happen. And I want to try to tip the scales to get things to go my way, right? Like this, it's like insane game that we get caught up in. When you can, when you can release that, I would say, let that go. And get into the feeling of like contentment and ease and peace and safety within your body. And you can feel really good in that. You can feel really content in that. You cannot need to add to that, right? Like a lot of people feel that that's boring, right? If I'm at peace, it's like I need to create some excitement because I'm bored, you know? So as you can be at peace within yourself, what you will start to what you will start to develop is an aversion to anxiety. 
And so when you start to get into a relationship with someone who activates those old feelings in you, right? If they do the dismissive thing or the I couldn't care less thing or the I don't have time thing or I'm, I'm so busy and, you know, I'm never available thing or, you know, all these, all these things that kind of the bad boy does that trigger those anxious feelings in you. Rather than associating those anxious feelings with love, you'll associate those anxious feelings with suffering, with pain, right? The moment you feel that in your body, the moment someone triggers that in your body, it's just like, instead of being like, I want that, it creates a different response. You go, ooh, I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. That feels dangerous. That feels painful. And from that place, what you are attracted to will change. From that place, the types of men, the types of relationships that you are attracted to will change. You know, I I see the question so much. I see the question so much where people say, you know, there's this nice guy or he's consistent for me. He shows up, but I'm just not attracted to him. And, you know, part of the reason, part of the reason might be that he's a nice guy, right? Part of the reason might be that he's just, you know, he's showing up as low value. He's showing up as desperate and you know, that's why you're not attracted to him. But part of the reason, or or I should say a different reason, could be because you have not conditioned yourself to feel okay with safety. And I know, you know, in my history, I would say, and, and I'm I'm somebody who at different points in my life, at different relationships, I would say I've been the bad boy and I've also been the nice guy at different times. Overall, I probably leaned more towards the nice guy because I just never was somebody who could hurt people really. But I've definitely had relationships where I had the upper hand and 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 maintained the upper hand. So in that sense, you know, I, I would maybe be more of the bad boy type. But a lot of times I showed up as the nice guy because I just, I wasn't, I wasn't someone who would really, like, I didn't, I never felt okay, like hurting people or dismissing people. But that being said, I know I got to a point in my own evolution where I started to step into being the committed man. And what happened was women treated me like I was the nice guy. And so I would get friend zoned. I would not be taken seriously. I would, all that stuff, right? All all the things that women do with the nice guy. But the difference was that when I, I would say outgrew being the nice guy, as soon as I saw it going in that direction, I was just done. I was just done. Like it wasn't, like there was nothing in me that was like, okay, 
let me hang on now and try to be this girl's friend. And, and, you know, maybe if I'm really close to her and I'm her best friend and I listen to all of her stories and I, I show up for her day in and day out, you know, like maybe she'll love me. I was just very clear. I don't want to be your friend. That was not my interest in this relationship. When I asked you to get a cup of coffee, I did not do it because I wanted to be your friend. And so if you're going to friend zone me, I'm just going to lose interest because I'm not looking for a friendship here. And there was definitely a period of me having to get comfortable doing that. But as I got more comfortable doing that, I started to attract women into my life who could appreciate that, who could receive that. And so what I would say is, you know, if you want that kind of man in your life, you have to get comfortable receiving that. You have to be able to appreciate that. And, and I'd say you have to be able to be attracted to that too, right? So the question always is, you know, there's this nice guy. Well, I'm just not attracted to him though. Well, you know, first distinguish if he's a nice guy or a committed man. But if you recognize he's a committed man and that you're not attracted to him, well, that would be your red flag that you have some healing work to do, right? That would reveal to you that there is something you need to heal in which you're attracted to your own suffering, in which you want to perpetuate the pain, in which you're so addicted to your feelings of unworthiness that you need a relationship in your life that is always going to reflect that back to you. And when you heal that, you will start to be attracted to different kinds of men. So that being said, um, we've talked about a lot today. I've seen some questions come in. I'm going to go ahead and jump in to uh, some questions now. So Catherine uh, left this comment. She says, I've learned to experience peace and fullness on my own in life. But now I've lost the pull towards men and the force that was drawing me to date. I don't feel attracted to anyone, Catherine. So thank you so much for sharing that. I just want to start by saying that. And that is a, that is a beautiful um, share. And I, I want to say that you are, you are like halfway on the journey, but don't stop there. Right, because what you've what you've overcome, actually, in Inspired Love, I use something called the Levels of Energy chart, which was created by Dr. David Hawkins. Which, if anyone knows who he is, he's an incredible teacher. And, and anyway, but um, in my Inspired Love program, I use the Levels of Energy chart. And what I actually say is that, you know, where most people are operating from is the level of desire which is a very low level of energy. We could also, another word for energy would be like vibrational state. Okay, so this is actually, a, the chart I'm talking about is actually a chart that maps out different vibrational states. And the, um, what was I gonna say? The, 
the level of energy called desire is a relatively low level of energy. It's it's like on, on the chart, it's towards the bottom. It, it stems from unworthiness. And basically what desire is, is it's an attempt to complete what I feel is incomplete within me. Now, the reason I'm sharing this is because Catherine, it sounds like you've transcended the level of desire, which is an amazing achievement. Like so many people will never, ever do that. So you've transcended the level of desire, which, you know, when you're operating at the vibrational state of desire, it produces a feeling of emptiness. It produces a craving. It produces like an insatiability because I feel empty inside and I just, I need more. I need more love. I need more of everything. I need people to want me. I need attention, right? Because I feel empty and I, and so the desire that, like you said, that force that was driving you to date is the desire. And so you've transcended that. That's beautiful. That's amazing. That is an incredible accomplishment. But now you say, I don't feel attracted to anyone. And what I hear in that, and let me know in the comments if this lands for you. I'd, I'd really be interested to hear if this lands for you. But what I hear in that is that you've transcended the level of desire. You've, you've lost attraction for people because you don't know what attraction is anymore. And this is important for everyone because even if you're not where Catherine is, this is an important stage of the journey that everybody needs to go through. That what used to drive you towards relationships with men was a craving and an emptiness, right? A, a, a feeling of needing to complete, a feeling of needing to get more because I feel empty inside. And your attraction was always driven by that. Now that's gone. You feel at peace. You feel content within yourself. But what you need to do now is establish a new basis for attraction. And the new basis for attraction is not going to come out of a need. It's not going to come out of an emptiness that you need filled out of a craving that you need satiated. It's not going to come through that. What it's going to come through is a vision for your life and future. I want everybody to hear this because like, I am probably more passionate about this than anything else I talk about. When you get so clear, Catherine, about that vision for your life and your future, and, and if... Part of that, right? And this is not for everybody. Like some people are content to be single. That might be you, but you probably wouldn't be listening to this conversation if it was. You'd be out enjoying your single life. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to suggest that maybe you're not completely content being single, but where you are is that you haven't really clarified that life vision. Right, So you don't really know what it looks like, what it feels like, the kind of partner you would be with, the kind of life you would have together. I've shared this before, but it's, it's something that I, I think is so great. And, you know, my wife, being the brilliant woman that she is, um, she figured this out all on her own. You know, she didn't have a coach or anybody tell her to do this, but it's something I tell all my clients to do, 
is when she was single, before she ever met me, she would write to me in her journal. And she would just write about like anything and everything. You know, the, the, like if, if I was there, like the things she would say to me, she would just write it out in her journal. The, the kind of life that she imagined we have together, the things we do, the way we treat each other, the places we go, like just in, in exquisite detail, in, you know, in, in, with emotion, with depth, right, with connection to it. And she would just write all of this stuff in her journal. And this wasn't coming from that level of desire. Right. If, if this was coming from that level of desire, she could have never manifested the relationship we have. So it wasn't, it wasn't like I'm empty and I need this relationship and I'm writing about it in my journal because I feel so empty and I'm trying to feel better. It was coming from a place of, I recognize that the love that I want already exists within me. And so my, my writing in the journal is not a craving for something I don't have, but it is the expression of something that is already there. It is the clarifying of something that is already there. It is me recognizing the fullness of this love within me and me painting a vividly beautiful picture in my journal. And that was a practice. So going back to what Catherine shared, That was a practice that my wife developed when she was where you are, Catherine. Okay, so this was a way in which she got connected to that vision, in which she clarified that vision, in which every night when she would write in her journal, rather than dropping down to the level of desire, she was actually elevating to the level of like creation. And that was one of the many things she did. I mean, my, my wife's incredible, spiritually awakened woman who, you know, ha- has done a lot of work in her life. But that was one of the ways in which she connected to and maintained the vibrational state that ultimately invited in the marriage we have today. So going back to what Catherine shared, what I think is missing for you, Catherine, is being deeply connected to the vision you have for life and love. And as you really extrapolate that vision and you make it bigger and you bring it out and you, you know, you, you connect to it on an emotional level and you feel the reality of it and the truth of it in your body. And you feel that it's not something outside of you that you need to go get, but it's something inside of you that you're bringing into being. And as you connect to it on that level, I think attraction will reemerge for you, but it will be a different kind of attraction because it won't be this desperate attraction where you need someone's love. It'll be an intuitive level attraction to the people who have the qualities that can build that vision with you. You know, there's, our bodies are intelligent and our intuition is intelligent. And I say, intuition is like communication from your higher mind, 
right? So intuition is something you feel in your body that is basically your higher mind. We could say like your, your God mind or your spiritual self. There are you know, different ways to talk about it. But this is, you know, this is the part of you that is like beyond this body, beyond this world, the most wise and, and intelligent part of yourself. What your intuition is, it is it is a feeling that you get when your higher mind speaks to you through your body. And so when I talk about intuitive attraction, what I'm speaking about is when you can sense in someone that they have the principles and the values that will allow you to build that vision with them there's going to be an intuitive attraction there. And intuitive attraction feels different than the kind of anxious attraction that most of us are used to because we're used to being attracted in a kind of desperate way, right? The intuitive attraction is different because with intuitive attraction, it's like you can leave and I'll be perfectly fine. I know that love comes from within me. I know that relationship shows up outside of me as a reflection of that love. And so if it doesn't happen with you, it'll happen with someone else. So the intuitive attraction is not needy. It's not desperate. It is secure. It is content with itself. But it does have, I would say, like a, a, a want to expand, a want to create more of, of what is like itself. And so when you feel some, when you feel from somebody that they have the principles and values in which you could create that vision with them, there will be a very secure, very confident attraction that is not clingy or needy, but it feels more like a curiosity. And it feels like an open-hearted willingness to explore a relationship with someone without being attached to it. And those of you who have heard me share the story about myself and my wife, like she tried to break up with me 20 times in our first year. And she, I know she always loves it when I share that. But, but I share that as something that's very incredible because she wasn't desperately attached to our relationship. She was feeling it out. And each time that maybe she wanted to break up, I, I say she wanted to break up, what she was really doing, she wasn't trying to break up. She was expressing a doubt or a fear that maybe this wasn't the right relationship. And what she was doing with each of those doubts or fears that she expressed was she was letting me know that, hey, like I'm not completely sold on this. I'm not desperately attached to you. I'm not going to, you know, bend over backwards to like try to hold on to this relationship with you. I want to really know that this relationship is the right one. And with each time that she expressed that fear or that doubt, she gave me the opportunity to step up and show her that you can trust this relationship, that this is secure, that I am going to be there for you, that you can depend on me. And that's something that when you're desperately attached to someone, you never create the opportunity for that. And so I know I've talked about a lot here, but what I want to say, Catherine, is develop that vision, clarify that vision, get emotionally connected to the vision for life and love that you have. And no, you're not going to be attracted to people in the way that you used to be, but what you will open up for yourself is a, a level of intuitive attraction to someone who has the principles and values that could build that vision with you. And that's 
beautiful and super powerful. So uh, thank you for sharing. And, and I really appreciate what you shared and lots of love. Okay. Um, I want to jump into as many questions as I can. I know we're getting short on time here. I'll take maybe one or two more. Um, Bella Zima, she asks, how do you know after the honeymoon phase or the honeymoon stage, if they are really the bad boy, nice guy or committed man? All right, let's just talk about some telltale signs here. Okay, bad boy has an air of I don't care, right? There you go. There's a, there's a rhyme to, to keep it for yourself. He has an air of I don't care, right? So, so the bad boy, he always has this like dismissive, avoidant way about him where it's like, I don't care. I don't need anything. You could leave. See you later. I don't care, right? It's like, it's like this ultra independence. There's, there's, he's not emotionally available. He's not vulnerable. He, the, the bad boy will never express. Well, I shouldn't say never. Okay. He may have moments where he will express, I really like you. I think you're great, blah, blah, blah. But it won't be consistent. Okay, so it, it, you know, he'll, th- this is the guy who will give you the hot and cold, right? He may at times tell you everything you want to hear, but the next day it's like he never said it. It's like all that stuff he said never meant anything, right? Because again, he has the air of, I don't care. He, he's like, he's like, yeah, I feel those things, but I could still be without you, right? It, it's just, there's no, there's no sensitivity or emotional connection. He is not letting the relationship touch him on a deeper level. He's got his walls up. He's protected. He is not letting you get through his walls. So he might say, you're beautiful. You're amazing. I, you know, I, I like you. I want to see you all the time, whatever, you know, he might say those kinds of things, but his behavior will show you that he doesn't mean them. Or even if on some level he means them, he can't really follow through on them in a consistent way. Okay, so that's the bad boy. The nice guy is... He will never challenge you. He will never challenge the relationship. He will never be willing to let it go. You know, this is, I think, one of the telltale signs is when I just shared that my wife tried to break up with me a bunch of times. And my response to that as the committed man that I was showing up as was, listen, I don't want you to go. I really like what we're doing here. I really want to see where this goes. I would really love for this to work. And and like, I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen. But if you want to go, then go. Right? So this is where the bad boy would never say all of that. The bad boy would be like, if you want to go, then go. I don't care. And the nice guy would be more like, please don't go. What do I have to do to keep you to stay? Right? So the, the committed man, he can, he can walk that line. You know, he's, he's connected to his emotions. He's emotionally available. He's in touch with his sensitivity. But he is not controlled by it. Right. So, so the, the committed man, he's not emotionally unavailable. He's like, I feel it. I feel all of it. I feel this relationship. I want this relationship. 
right? He's connected to that. And at the same time, he has the willingness to say, listen, I'm not going to force you to be here. I'm not going to compromise myself for you to be here. I'm not going to beg you to be here. If you're going to be here, you're going to be here because you see the value in what I offer and you want to be with me. Right? So this, this guy, he can, he can live in both worlds. And so you say, how do you know? Well, I'm going to say this, like, I think, you know, by challenging the relationship a little bit, right? If you are, if you are going to find a bad boy and play into everything he wants and never challenge him, well, you might create the illusion that things are going really well, but when he's done, he's going to drop you because he's never really going to fall in love. He's never really going to open his heart. And if you, I mean, the nice guy is, is kind of more obvious. I think, you know, we don't really have a hard time spotting a nice guy, but I think the, the way you'll identify the nice guy versus the committed man is in how he deals with conflict, right? The committed man will remain in his power. He will even challenge you at times, right? Not in an aggressive or a harsh way. But if there's something that needs to be brought up, he'll brought it up or he'll bring it up. If there's, if there's something that like he needs to say, like, listen, you're behaving in a way that is hurtful or toxic or, you know, like if, if some of your toxic stuff comes up, like he'll call it out. He'll be like, listen, like, I'm not okay with this in this relationship. Like this doesn't work for me. So the nice guy will never do that. The nice guy is always going to try to appease you and do whatever he has to do to, to keep your love and keep your affection. The committed man will not. The committed man is willing to put the relationship at risk. So I would say in challenging the relationship, you will reveal what kind of man you're with. And... Yeah, I, I think that's that. I think that answers the question. So uh, let me know if that answers the question, Bellezima. And great question. Thank you for asking. Okay, so I see two questions here. Um, I'm going to try to get to both of them, and, and that'll be where I have to close it out today. Um, first one is from Nessa Garza. She says, is there a such thing as submitting to your partner? Well, I... So I want to address this because I think that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, but what, what I want to say about that is in the sense of today's conversation, submitting to your partner would be giving your power away. Okay, now I don't want to say that is absolutely what it means because there are, there are times when submitting to your partner, especially I would say like, you know, men need to, men need to have space to take the lead sometimes, you know, men, men need to feel that they have a space in their relationship where they can take the lead and, and embody their leadership. And if, if a man, if a man never feels that with his woman, 
right? If, if his woman never gives him the space to take the lead, she will emasculate him and he will feel like less of a man. So there is, there is a healthy sense where we could say like submitting to your partner would be like allowing him to lead. Giving, giving your man the space to lead the relationship, it doesn't mean you have no voice. It doesn't mean that you have no opinions. It doesn't mean that you can't talk about things that aren't okay with you. But in, in many instances, you want to give him that space to lead the relationship because one, he's going to feel like a man and he's going to feel respected and appreciated and honored by you. Two, you'll probably be more attracted to him because honestly, I think women want to see that in a man. Like women want to see a man step up and take the lead. Women don't want to feel like they have to be in charge of everything. When they, when they feel like they have to be in charge of everything, they often don't feel safe, right? So, so giving him space for that can be a healthy thing. And, and if you want to call that submitting to your partner, allowing him to lead, again, that's going to make him feel better about himself it's probably going to make you feel better about him and it's going to create a healthy dynamic in the relationship. Now, I think the unhealthy version of submitting to your partner would be when you disempower yourself in the relationship. So as I said, allowing your man to take the lead or respecting his leadership or giving him the space to be a leader does not mean that you have no thoughts, does not mean you have no opinions, does not mean you're okay with anything. It doesn't mean that he can treat you like shit and you just accept it. That would be the unhealthy version of submitting. Okay, so letting him take the lead, but if there's, if there's something that you don't feel okay with, you say, hey, honey, I really don't feel okay about this. And you expect him to even take the lead with that, right? It's like, it's like, honey, I don't feel okay about this. Then if he's going to be in his leadership, he's going to say, okay, well, how can we make it better? Right. And he's going to lead a discussion with you about what you're feeling and what you would like to see from him, how he can better provide for you, how he can take the lead on that. Okay. So you're, you might be submitting in the sense that you are giving him space to lead, but you're also communicating him about, honey, I need this. I need that. You know, like just a common example might be that, you know, honey, I would like us to have some more regular communication. I feel like, you know, you get busy and I don't hear from you very much for a couple of days in a row. Like I would like us to keep in touch more regularly. Right. And then he might take the lead and saying, oh, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that with me. And and, you know, I, I would love to do that too. So what might that look like? Would you like me to call you in the evenings and maybe we could talk every night, right? So he's going he's gonna to take the lead and you're going to let him lead. So it's not that you're saying, listen, you need to call me every single night. Like now you're, now you're usurping his leadership. You're emasculating him. You're telling him what he needs to do and how he needs to do it. That's, that's going to probably make him feel like less of a man. So... You're communicating your needs to him, but you're letting him lead on, letting him lead a discussion around it, letting him lead his way of providing for it, right? And I remember an example of my, this happened with myself and my wife, right? So she, um, I was traveling a lot for work at one point and I was 
you know, so I would sometimes be out of town for four or five days, be back for two days, and then be out of town for another four or five days. And this started to really weigh on her the, the amount that I was traveling. And so she brought it up to me and, and we were talking about it. And, you know, initially she was kind of frustrated and upset about it. And I was like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm working, you know, like I, and, and I was getting upset that she was upset and, you know, there's all this. So then I decided to step into my leadership instead of fighting about it. I decided to step into my leadership and actually lead a conversation around it. And so I I said to her, I said, okay, so let's talk about this. What is it that really bothers you when I'm gone? And so she started to tell me some of what she was feeling. She started to tell me some of what she was experiencing, you know, and, and I asked her, okay. And and this is what I said. I said, look, what if I talked to the company I was working for and I told them that I could only do one training a month because I was traveling to do trainings around the country. And um, I said, what if I told them that I could only do one training a month, right? So I would be gone for four or five days a month max. And then, and then I would be home, you know, for the, the next three weeks, and, and she said, that would actually work. I would feel okay about that. And I said, okay, got it. So here's what's going to happen. You know, for the rest of this year, I have, I, I think, two or three more trainings that are back-to-back that are on the schedule. There's nothing I can do about that. But moving forward, I'm going to have a conversation with the company. We're going to schedule this out, and, I'll, and I won't do more than one training a month moving forward. And we made an agreement about that. And what she shared with me was that until that conversation, she wasn't even really clear about what was upsetting her, right? So it was, it was my willingness to lead that conversation and her willingness to let me lead that conversation that allowed us to get to a resolution that was good for both of us. Where if she had, if she had stayed in like, I don't like this and you need to do less trainings and, 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 you know, like if she had gotten that way, I would have felt emasculated. Like she wasn't allowing me to to lead my own life and, and she was telling me what to do. And, and then it would have probably caused a fight between us. Right. So by, by her allowing me to lead the conversation and, and my willingness to lead the conversation, I was able to kind of navigate that and get to a place where we really understood each other. We really felt what each other was feeling and we made an agreement that was going to support both of us moving forward. But nowhere in that did she subordinate her power. Did she subordinate her needs? Like nowhere in that was she just giving me my way or just like diminishing her power, right? So that's I think that is a really great example of how you can let your partner lead. And in a way we could say you're submitting to him, but it's not like you're, again, it's not like you're becoming a slave, right? It's not like you're giving your power away. But I think in terms of masculine and feminine dynamics, those kinds of relationships or those kinds of interactions are very healthy in in a, in a relationship. And that requires one, a man who is willing to lead the conversation, which a bad boy would never do, by the way, right? The bad boy would never lead the conversation like that. He would make it your fault, your problem, blame, criticize. Why are you so needy? Why don't you leave me alone? I'm just doing my job, right? Like that's the way the bad boy would handle it. The nice guy would be like, do I need to quit my job? Do I need to find another job? (laughs) You know, like the, the nice boy would just completely give in to whatever would make you happy. 
the committed man knows how to navigate that middle road, right? He knows how to be sensitive to your needs, attentive to his own needs, compassionate to the relational dynamic, willingness to find something that would work for everyone. So I I think, again, to, to sum up the question, giving him space to lead is very good, very healthy for the relationship. He will feel like a man because of that. You will be more attracted to him because of that, because he will be showing up as a strong man who wants to provide for you. Any degree to which you give away your voice or your power is unhealthy. So hope I answered that question. Um, great question, and, and thank you for that. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this one last question for today. This is from Lady Luck Vibes. I have a friend with benefits thinking it would just be that, but now I'm catching feelings with a bad boy, nice guy. Don't know what to do. Okay. So friend with benefits, you thought it would be just that. Now you're developing feelings and you recognize he's this bad boy, nice guy, whichever, whichever one, I, you didn't clarify that there, but it doesn't really matter. As we've said, they're both two sides of the same coin. So this is why these situations are generally not a good idea. And I get it. Okay. I've done it a bunch of times myself. Um, it's easy. It's easy to think when you're single, when you're lonely, when you want someone to have sex with, you know, when you want to be touched and held and you want that kind of physical intimacy, it's, it's easy to think that it can just be sex. And this is something that I had to learn for myself where, you know, I remember being involved with a woman who's, you know, she, she said to me, I I want an open relationship, only interested in you know, physical and and maybe hanging out a few times, but like, that's, that's what I want. Right. And me thinking to myself, Oh, I could do that. I'm a man. I I should be fine with that. Right. Well, I wasn't fine with it. And the reason why I wasn't fine with it is because I am emotionally available. Okay. Like I, and and I was at that time in my life, I, I guess I wasn't always emotionally available, but at that time in my life, I was, I was well into my healing journey. I was, you know, doing a lot of consciousness work. So I was emotionally available at that time. Being emotionally available means that you feel things. It means that when you are intimate with someone physically, you will attach to that person on some level. Now, of course, you can, you can experience the attachment, which is what I did with this woman because she was not open for a relationship and she did not want to take it beyond that. And so I engaged in this relationship with her. I felt all of my wanting to attach and my discomfort with it and wanting more from her. And and I felt all of that. And I was able to be with it, right? I wasn't thrown into some kind of desperate scenario about it because I, I had emotional availability. I also had emotional maturity, right? So I I was able to be with my emotions rather than dump all of them onto her and expect her to fix them for me. But it was painful. It was hurtful. It was hard. And by the end of it, I got to a point where I'm like, I don't ever want to do that again, (laughs) right? 
right? Like I want some consistency. I want, I want some, a solid relationship that I can trust and rely on. And I know I have a partner who's going to be there for me. And, you know, I don't, you know, we might spend a weekend together and then I don't hear from her for six months. And like, six months is a lot, maybe six weeks. And, and, you know, and meanwhile, I want to see her, right? Like I want someone who also wants to see me too. And so for me, and I'll just share my personal experience here. Like as I became more aware, as I became more in tune with myself and my emotions, as I became more emotionally available, something that also started to happen for me was I realized like casual sex doesn't really work, right? I'm too emotionally connected for that. And so it's a nice idea, right? It's a nice idea to think that, oh, I could just have this person and it's just sex and there's no attachment. Practically speaking, it doesn't work unless you're emotionally dead. And there are a lot of people out there that are emotionally dead. And I would say our culture has very strong influences of emotional death, right? Our culture is constantly numbing us. And so there are a lot of people who are emotionally dead. And these emotionally dead people are out there engaging in casual sex because their lives are very empty. And they... It's, it's one of the ways they can feel something, right? They feel so little that sex is one of the ways that they can feel something. And so they engage in casual sex because it gives them a, a, an opportunity to feel something for once. But if you are an emotionally available human being, if you are someone who has an authentic desire to love and to be loved, if that's the truth of who you are, casual sex is going to hurt you. And and I'd say, you know, if you're ending up in a friends with benefits kind of thing, you probably are going to end up with someone who is relatively emotionally dead or at a minimum, like dead might be a strong word, but emotionally disconnected because they're the kinds of people that are looking for that, right? The people who are emotionally connected are not looking for that. And so I get it. You know, if you're single, if you're lonely, you want to be touched, you want to be held, you want physical intimacy, it's a nice idea. But it really doesn't work. And I think the the flip side to that too is that the more you do that, the more you engage in relationships like that, the more you're subtly reinforcing the idea that that's all you can hope for. Because if you could hope for more, you wouldn't be wasting your time with that. You would just be going for what you really want, right? So this whole friends with benefits thing is like a kind of band-aid we put on to avoid the real issue is like, the real issue is I'm afraid I'm never going to find someone. I'm afraid nobody's ever going to want me. I'm afraid I'm going to be alone forever. And so if I'm going to be alone forever, nobody's ever going to want me. I might as well just have a friends with benefits while I'm waiting to see what's going to happen. But if you're really connected to your worth, 
your value, if you're really connected to the fact that like you're freaking amazing and, and someone is going to be tripping over themselves to have a relationship with you, like if you're really connected to that, you don't have time for that kind of stuff because you're like, I know what I want. I know what I deserve. And I'm only interested in that. And so what I would say, Lady Luck Vibes, I really appreciate the question because you're not alone in this. There are lots and lots of people that are in very similar situations to you. And what I would say is it's time to get honest with yourself about the situation you're in, right? Don't stop selling yourself the story that this is just something you're doing in the meantime while you're waiting for the one. It's not. It's something you're doing to mitigate the fear that you're never going to find the one. And get honest about that. Get courageous enough to cut anything that is less than the ultimate result out of your life. And whatever that leaves you with, when you cut the friends with benefits and all the stuff out of your life, whatever that leaves you with, whatever loneliness or fear or shame or doubt that that leaves you with, that is revealing your healing journey. That is revealing the work you need to do, right? So don't don't get into a friends with benefits situation to avoid those feelings. Cut out the friends with benefits situation and confront those feelings. And as you confront those feelings and work through them, what you will inevitably find is your own worthiness because that's what always results from healing work. It always leads to an increased recognition of your own worth. All right, so I'm going to end with that. Um, Beautiful questions today. Uh, Great conversation. I really enjoyed being here with everyone today. Thank you so much for those of you who uh, joined me live. To those of you who will be listening on the podcast, thank you as well and sending you lots of love. Always a pleasure. Title of the show is The Conscious Love Show. Make sure you look for it on all major platforms. Thanks everybody for being with me today. I always enjoy being with you. Sending you lots of love and I'll see you back here next week. Take care. Bye. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.